You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. saliently salivating for salsa, salmon berries, and Salvador Dali. This is Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. Today's show's episode 218. And of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your happy, snappy, strappy, yappy, chappies. <laughs> I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. And let's jump into our first general trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hotshot. Here, I have our random trivial pursuit card. You guys have your barnyard buzzers. Let's answer some questions. Here we go. Blue Edge for Geography. Which actor was effectively banned from China after portraying Heinrich Herrer in the 1997 movie Seven Years in Tibet? That was the horse Colin. I think that was Richard Gere. Is that right? Incorrect. Dana. Was it Brad Pitt? Correct. It is Brad Mm. Pitt. Mm. From the movie Seven Years in Tibet. The card here says he was allowed to visit with Angelina Jolie in 2014 while she promoted one of her films. Hmm. So as as an accessory to somebody, it's (laughs) right Banned, except for when he isn't. Yeah. That invitation's (laughs) closed now, I would guess. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> right um pink wedge for pop culture contestants on which long-running tv competition have one goal to outwit outplay and outlast one another i i cannot take this from chris oh gosh i know chris please i've watched i've watched this show survivor it's survivor <laughs> how many how many seasons are we in I like think 40. Just a ballpark because number. 40. 40 uh, ish. Yeah, well, they do two a year. Yeah. So it's year. been on for <laughs> over 20 years. So they've done 40 <laughs> yeah. seasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, not 40 years. <laughs> like, you're like, seasons. it's been on my whole life. How did yeah. That <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fun fact my father in law's uh, realtor was uh, one of the contestants in the first season of Survivor. Oh. Mm, first season. I, I remember the first season. Who was Jenna. it? Jenna? Jenna. Yeah. Oh, wow. oh, oh yeah. I remember first season people. Everybody remember okay. first first season people. They all became like like celebrities. Yeah, yeah. and or went to jail, right? For- <laughs> oh, right. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, yeah. a different kind of celebrity. I guess those are not mutually exclusive. Yeah. yeah. Yellow wedge. Which English monarch was on the throne at the time of the American Civil War? Oh, mm, Colin. Yeah. Uh, 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 Queen Victoria, right? Correct. Queen oh, yeah. Victoria. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. yeah. Woo, I was panicking there Victorian, for a minute. I was like, wait, I just, yeah. I was just talking about this. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Funny enough, that was actually a question on our, our Good Job Brain monthly quiz packet for ah. uh, our Patreon pledgers. I knew oh. it sounded so familiar. So your packet is already <laughs> paying off with helping with trivia. I knew the yeah. answer to this. Yeah, yep. yeah. that's right. Yeah, so on Patreon, uh, we, we have a tier. It's $10 or more. You get like a monthly quiz pack that you can print at home and, and run pub trivia Good Job Brain style with uh, with your family, your friends, yourself, your dogs, your yeah. cats, yeah. your lizards. <laughs> and if your dog gets a question right please write in and tell us queen um, victoria <laughs> 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 
<laughs> Uncanny. Oh my god, a talking dog. <laughs> Purple Wedge, weird one. What topped Lake Superior State University's 2016 list of banished words? Multiple choice. Okay. Okay. Two, okay. 2016? 2016. Lake Superior State University list of banished words. Okay. okay. Word number one. So. Like S-O. Okay. 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 Hmm. Word number two. Man spreading. <laughs> Word okay. number three. Vape. Gosh. Banned wow. words. Banned banished words. Well, the weird one here is so. So. Yeah. Well, I'll just guess. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to buzz in or oh. anything, but I'll, I'm going to say I think yeah. that. It's, uh, Does anybody it's, else want to just? We all want to just guess here and see. What happens. I, I'll, I'll, I'll support that half-hearted effort. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, yeah. I agree with you. It's, it's conspicuous. <laughs> Why is it on there? Yeah, it's it's conspicuous compared to the others, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it would be a weird distractor. Let me put it that way. If that wasn't the answer, so that was kind of like a window through our pub trivia team. Uh, how we talk it out. Uh, you are correct, Chris. It is so okay because yeah. that seems a little bit out of left field, um, hmm. and the reason is. It's because, the card says, it's because so many people begin sentences with it. Oh, gosh, mm. yeah. Weird language policing kind of thing. That's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so comes in more of a conversational type of language setting when we yeah. when we speak. I don't think anybody's writing, you know, typing out in papers, <laughs> S-O. Oh, I, I do. I actually talking. do. Really? I, I when I'm in, I, I, I kind of became conscious of it. I tend to, mm. I tend to write, especially in Slack. I tend to sort of consciously try to write how I speak, just because mm. I'm trying to convey <laughs> friendliness. Because some people do not. But I often find myself looking back on a bunch of messages I've just written, and like every sentence starts with so. so. so it's like so. so I'm mm-hmm. noticing that this is going on. Yeah, I do so that what too. I think we should do. Um, <laughs> so I'm just checking with you to make sure it's okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> It's also a subtle way of uh, of just establishing that these are threaded. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, to try to just kind of. I just want. I just want to kind of ease into that sentence. You know, just gently go into it. There was a at my junior high school. There was a teacher who, if you were if you were answering something class and you said like. You know, in the middle of, and yeah. he like the teacher would say like when you said it, they would just echo it right back at you, and that was it. And that was just their, their like annoying, subtle way, or not so subtle, I guess, of trying to correct you. And it went beyond comical to truly frustrating if you were <laughs> trying to like actually say something. I just did it myself, of course. There, yeah, 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 so, yeah. If you have yeah, a speech it's, impediment it's... or you're nervous, guess what? You're gonna get slapped down and publicly <laughs> yeah. humiliated by yeah. the professor. Yeah. Enjoy yeah. your yeah. your speaking in front of the class. Ever again. (laughs) Anyways, so let's move on to the Green Wedge. That's fine. (laughs) Uh, Green Wedge for Science and Nature. What is the term for a natural depression in a land surface formed by the dissolution and collapse of a cavern roof? Wait, can you say it again? I'll say it again. Mm -hmm. What is the term for a natural depression in a land surface formed by the dissolution and collapse of a cavern roof? Uh, Chris. How about a sinkhole? It is a sinkhole. Yeah, All right. Like All right. Last question on this card. Which of the following is not a yoga pose? <laughs> okay. Multiple choice. Okay. Kite, torch, plow, or chair? All right. You want, I'll tell you, you, I'll tell you right now, it's not chair. 
That's my least favorite position. Yeah, I know chair uh, is yeah. one. Uh, yeah. Kite, plow, or torch is basically yeah. what we're yeah. looking Is there at. anything we can kite. eliminate right off the bat? Like you do yoga and you've done this pose. I mean, chair is one. Yeah. I thought it was all dogs. I should know this. I should know this. Um, I think torch is one. Yeah, like holding your hand yeah. like Statue of Liberty. I'll say, I say no kite. Because I okay. think plow, they are plows in India, where yoga's mm-hmm. from. But mm-hmm. kites, mm-hmm. I don't think of as Indian. I know there are kites in India, but... Mm-hmm. I like the reasoning. Let's flip the card. It is torch! <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I wanted to have little pictures of the poses on there. I know! Probably beyond, the scope, probably beyond the scope of the card. Because torch seems like it would maybe be part of the warrior sequences. Yeah! Yeah! yeah. yeah. That's what I well, was you know what? It, you know what? It's a good question. It's a, it's a well-written question because the, the, the wrong answer was said. It was such a suckery answer. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 And we have our listener extra bonus fun fact slash question. This is from our purple Patreon pledge. Steve Gill from Louisville, 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 Kentucky. (laughs) (laughs) Covering all the bases. So here's his question for you guys today. He says, Pluto used to be the smallest planet in the solar system until it was downgraded to a dwarf planet. So we already know every planet is larger than Pluto, but can you <laughs> guess how many moons in the solar system are larger than Pluto? Oh. Multiple choice. Okay. Oof. Okay. Thank Two, God. three, five, or seven. Two, three. Five, how many seven. moons are larger than Pluto? Pluto. In our I'm gonna go system. on. The, I'm gonna go on the high side. I'm gonna go on the high side. I'm gonna say five really? or seven. Yeah, I mean, just because some of these planets have so many dang moons, you know what I mean? <laughs> so yeah. Dang. Also, and Pluto is really little. Yeah, sure, seven. I'll say five. The correct answer is seven, and here um. are the seven: Ganymede, Titan, Callisto, Io, Europa, Triton, and everybody's favorite, our moon, the the yeah. moon. Good old the moon. moon. The moon Good is moon. bigger than Pluto. I don't think I realized that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. me neither. Wow. Now that Pluto's not the smallest planet in our solar system, what planet is the smallest well, Isn't now? it I, Mercury? Mercury? Mercury's Correct. pretty small. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes. An additional fun fact from Steve, Jupiter's Ganymede and Saturn's Titan both are larger than Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's big, some big, there's big, some big, big, big there's big, some big, big moons out there. Yeah. Too many dang moons. Too many dang <laughs> moons on Disney Plus. <laughs> <laughs> that's, when, that's when they start scraping the barrel for Star Wars properties to turn into TV shows. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Steve. And I want to give a very, very special shout out to McScribeface, McScribeface, which is the name (laughs) of our Good Job Brain volunteer transcription squad. Uh, A bunch of people volunteered to start transcribing our our catalog of 200 episodes. It's a small start, but, you know, awesome job. Thank you. So kind. Stu. Thank you, Amber. My mind's like, nothing I say is worth writing down. What are you doing? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, thank you. Today's theme for the episode uh, was inspired by a few things. Uh, I want to share with you guys earlier this October, uh, the winner of the 28th annual Golden Spurtle was announced. And what exactly (laughs) 
is a golden Spurtle. Well, what, what's even just a normal non-golden Spurtle? Isn't that a Pokemon? That's what I thought. Pokemon. That's Squirtle, <laughs> though, I think. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's my only guess. <laughs> this is the first time I've looked it up. A Spurtle is a cooking utensil hailing all the way from Scotland. It's kind mm. of like... It's kind of like a, a hefty wooden wand, like okay. it's a rod, and okay. it's mm. traditionally used to stir porridge. Mm. So oh. instead of a spoon or a spatula, it's this like thick magician's <laughs> wand um, <laughs> stick. It's a very traditional tool. And, and as for the golden spurtle, well, it's also known as the annual World Porridge Making Championship. Oh. <laughs> oh. And, and it made the news uh, earlier this October. Uh, Miriam Groot from the Netherlands took home the honor of, of having the awarded the Golden Spurtle this year. And it was a little bit different this year because it had to be held virtually. Um, and so people <laughs> submitted their recipe. <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. no, she just takes say, a bite over Zoom. She's like, this is the best porridge I've ever had. Seems like a challenge for a cooking contest, mm-hmm. I'm just going to say. Just looking, just doing it through Zoom. They're just like, that's good. <laughs> Ooh, that one looks like, really good. Yeah. Yeah. Can you hold it up to the camera a little closer? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pre-pandemic times, the World Porridge Making Championship is held in Carbridge, Scotland. So two main categories. One category is OG regular porridge making. And then there's another category, which is like specialty porridge, where they can add things or make it into a different form. And so for this virtual version, they just did the specialty thing. They had to submit like a recipe and then they submit a a video of them cooking it. So this year, Miriam Groot won. She made, get this, arancini out of porridge oats. So arancini's are Italian, the deep fried risotto balls. But she made it with you know risotto oats nice and then also halloween just happened we also talked a a bit about candy recently on the show too so i think it's time for something salty so this week are you worth your salt So, Karen, I have to ask, can you go back to your uh, alliteration and, and read us some of the, the words that you used in your alliteration? I said, salutations, salutorians, saliently salivating for salsa, salmon berries, and Salvador Dali. <laughs> so, at least a couple of those words come from the word salt. Yeah. Definitely, uh, I think salivating. Definitely yeah. uh, salsa. salsa. Salsa for salsa, sure. Yeah. What? Salsa mm-hmm. comes from, yeah, sauce. Saw. The word sauce comes from salt. It all comes from the Latin, you know, sal or salt. Salad. Oh, goes back to salt. Yeah. Salad comes from salt because the first salads were mixed vegetables and they put a salty brine or the dressing over them, the ancient Romans. So that's where salad comes from, was from what? the word salt. And even sauce, like <laughs> sauce is a salty thing you put on. I had no idea. Salary comes from salt also. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, probably not because people, I think people said like, oh, because they, you know, salt was so valuable that the, the, you know, the Roman soldiers were paid in salt. I think it actually might just mean, like other people have said, it might just mean like, it's your salt money. You know, it's your money to go buy salt and other things. Salt is just so fundamental. Uh, it's so important Weird. to mm-hmm. to sustaining human life, right? Like we think of it now as like an optional condiment that we add on to things. 
just, you know, a couple hundred years ago, like then past that, the beginning of humanity, people have always had to be thinking like, where are we going to get salt? Very important. Mm. Um, If you, I'd heard that it becomes more important to get salt, to to get like rock salt when you start living in cities. And because with hunter gatherers, they would go kill a fresh animal and just like eat it raw and they'd get all the sodium that they might need from that. But then when people started living in cities and towns and things like that, it started to be like, well, we need salt and we need salt, put it in our bodies. But then also we need huge quantities of it. Uh, in it certainly in like Britain in the American colonies to preserve our meat with because nobody oh, has, there's no refrigerator. No. Now there, there were salt mines or salt mines in, in, in Great Britain where they were getting a lot of salt, like rock salt that was like under the earth. And when they first started sending the first, you know, colonists like to, you know, modern day America, they were kind of hoping that like, maybe they'll find some salt, you know, maybe mm, they'll sort of, yeah. maybe they'll, 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 there'll be a bunch of salt over there and they can start adding to the British Empire's commodities, uh, strategic yeah. salt reserves. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. like, if you're an individual, you're wondering where am I as an individual going to get salt? And if you're a government or you know a world power you're wondering on a macro scale about yeah. salt supplies mm. i i found this this story that i'm titling thomas jefferson's salt mountain um <laughs> because this this was fascinating so the the colonists get to america and they realize you know they're set up shop on the east coast there's no salt they're not finding vast natural <laughs> quantities of salt. They, so they end up importing their salt from Great Britain. Really? So Britain, yes. So America mm. imported a lot of its salt. And they also found that uh, Native Americans did not actually use, uh, generally use salt to preserve their meats. They smoked them. So their traditional oh. method of preserving meats was smoking over a low fire. Then, like, around 1776 or so, it becomes kind of difficult for the colonies, which are now an open rebellion, <laughs> to import salt uh, from Great Britain. This is when you see a lot of, um, uh, a lot of uh, salt works opening up uh, on the coastal states, essentially. Is that just, like, drying? Exactly, mm-hmm. drying, drying it out of the seawater. This became a popular military target for the British Navy. <laughs> they would go oh. and find the salt works and try to destroy them. Salt was was tough, you know, for the colonies during the Revolutionary War. It was tough to get your hands on. Mm. And so uh, once the war was over, America starts up importing salt from Great Britain again. But still, it's like, where are we? how can we be salt independent? Where are we going to get some salt? So enter uh, Thomas Jefferson, one Thomas Jefferson, who you've no doubt heard about from the smash hit musical Hamilton. Um, <laughs> played by to perfection on Broadway by David. Indeed. Indeed. Um, was in fact a real person and was serving as the third president of the United States. How about that? Uh, 1801 to 1809, Jefferson was in office. And he was, Jefferson, as you may know, was super hot for Western expansion. He wanted to mm. continue to move west across the North American continent and take that land for America. And famously, Jefferson, of course, wanted to and did the Louisiana, Louisiana Purchase. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Buying, buying from France the rights to the middle of the modern United States of America. Just, just a huge, huge chunk of land. A huge chunk of land, and the and the, a huge chunk of land that France didn't even. They never even went there. Like it was like France had established New Orleans in what is like modern day Louisiana. And then they're literally just like, uh, and all that stuff up there is ours too. We've never been there. We don't know what's up there, but, uh, that's, that's just ours. That's ours now. Uh, okay. Jefferson, when he did the Louisiana purchase, he was buying outright the, the, you know, the lands that France had 
was actually occupying and they were like we'll leave but then the rest of it was like we are we are paying you to agree that we Mm. are gonna go in there and try to take it you know Mm. you're not when you're not gonna Mm. stop us meanwhile there's people living in there that would have been very surprised to find out (laughs) yeah to learn that their land had been claimed not not once but twice now some guy who's never been here just sold my land to somebody else who's never been there oh man um the other funny thing with the Louisiana Purchase is that it was at this point, it was kind of an open constitutional question as to whether the president of the United States could even just buy a bunch of land, could spend, you know, at, at the time, uh, $15 million, whether the president could even just unilaterally do that. It's like, well, shouldn't Congress mm. kind of get involved? Remember, you know, yeah. remember America's very young, you know. It's like, should Congress be doing this? Can the president do that? Well, he did. Yeah. He went ahead and bought it. Um <laughs> Congress did end up ratifying the treaty, but Jefferson had to convince Congress or wanted to try to convince Congress why that this this deal that he signed was good and that they should ratify it. So in the summer of 1803, you know, France and the U.S. signed this treaty. And then after that, Jefferson goes to Congress uh, with this big report of information that he had had assembled like all about louisiana and then louisiana at this point literally referred to modern day louisiana state and then straight up just a big old chunk of the whole thing and this was in the report here we go one extraordinary fact relative to salt must not be omitted there exists about 1000 miles up the missouri and not far from that river a Salt Mountain! Exclamation point in original. <laughs> exclamation point. Exclamation point. Italics and exclamation point. A Salt Mountain! Wow. This mountain is said to be 180 miles long and 45 in width, composed of solid rock salt without any trees or even shrubs upon it. That's salt awesome. springs are very <laughs> numerous beneath the surface of this mountain and they flow through the fissures and cavities of it. So this was in this report uh-huh. that Jefferson said to Congress. I, I guess I have to explain how unbelievable this, like how fanciful and un- this sounded like cities <laughs> paved with gold, like because right. of the, yeah. the, mountain the, made of the salt. sheer value of it, um, like, a, like a fairy tale. And this was picked up on by especially a lot of the newspapers that were uh, opposed to Thomas Jefferson at this point. The New York Evening Post wrote an editorial about this. It was like, we think that it would have been no more than fair uh, if the traveler who informed Mr. Jefferson of this territory of solid salt to have added that <laughs> some leagues to the westward of it, there was an immense lake of molasses. And that between this lake and the mountain yeah. of salt, there was an extensive veil of hasty pudding stretching as far as the eye could reach and kept in a state of comfortable eatability by the warmth of the sun's rays. <laughs> yeah, um, it's like Candyland. This this Pulitzer Prize for sarcasm. Yes, <laughs> I was like, is this where Big Rock Candy Mountain came from? I, it might, like, it may it have. Good. It yeah. may have. Oh no, no, no! I mean, there were other newspapers asking, "Where was the? Where's the Sugar Mountain? Tell us where the Lake of Whiskey is." You know, and. <laughs> Was as far as I can tell, this was the Dan Quayle misspelling potato of its day. Like, if you didn't like Thomas Jefferson or his policies, and a lot of people did not, or especially oh, if you thought the Louisiana Purchase was like a big waste of money, which a lot of people did, 
you you run a clown on Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, for, yeah, and, yeah. and so Thomas Jefferson <laughs> j- gets just ratio over this. Okay. Just dunked <laughs> on every day. Yeah. Uh, um, the Boston Gazette wrote a poem about it. Um, I wish I will read to you. Hero status of old, to eternize his name, set the temple of Diana all in a flame. But Jefferson lately of Bonaparte bought to pickle his fame a mountain of salt. And, <laughs> and, and another another paper said, like, commenting sort of in a meta way on this whole thing was like that this quote has called forth more queer remarks, puns, and epigrams than anything <laughs> which has come to light under the present enlightened government in scare quotes. This is a meme. It was a meme. He's a meme. Thomas Jefferson and his and his salt mountain. (laughs) So whoa, where did this come from? Well, um, a lot of explorers who were out in the Louisiana territory were sending information back to the U.S. government. They did say that there was like they'd found a bunch of salt out there, and they'd sent back samples of salt. And it seems like maybe somewhere in the translation, you know, like a whole lot of salt became like a whole mountain of salt. Which then became a in somebody's brain a literal you know mountain <laughs> of salt. It seemed like it was a game of telephone that unfortunately ended with the president who just believed the final thing. So when Jefferson sent Lewis and Clark out to explore the Louisiana Purchase in 1804, he said like one of the reasons that he sent Lewis and Clark out there was that he wanted them to find the salt mountain because he really wanted to, like his rep was on the line and he wanted them to try to, he's like, tell me anything you find about salt. I need to know. So Lewis and Clark, two years later, come back in 1806 and guess what? They did not find in the Western United States a giant mountain. Well, I mean, Karen, if they had found it, you would know because there'd be a big salt mountain, you know, (laughs) in America. So so Lewis and Clark found nothing uh, and they came back and they're like, we didn't find a salt mountain. And then apparently it all started up all over again. Oh, no. (laughs) Now the the newspapers are, ah, we do not learn that Lewis confirms the account given by the president a few years since of the huge mountain of salt. (laughs) Therefore, we conclude that it has dissolved. What? (laughs) So, So Jefferson leaves office, 1809, Salt Mountain, or anything like it had not been discovered. Now, fortunately... In May of 1811, after Jefferson has been gone for a while, left office for a while, there was an explorer whose name was George Sibley. Uh, and he was a trader uh, at Fort Osage, uh, which is it's right by modern-day Kansas City, Missouri. It's actually uh, in the town of Sibley, Missouri, if you want to know how important George <laughs> Sibley ends up being to that area. Um, that's where the U.S. government had set up to trade with the Osage tribe of indigenous peoples, right? So... Uh, he gets it in his head. He wants to go exploring and he specifically, he wants to try to find Jefferson salt mountain. Now the Osage tribe, what they end up showing him is now considered to be probably what everybody had been talking about. And it is now Uh. known as the great salt plains of Oklahoma. So, and that's, it's about a five hour drive today from historic Fort Osage to the Great Salt Plains of Oklahoma, if you want to know how long they walked to get there. So (laughs) it's a whole bunch of, it's plains. And then underneath the plains is, is saline groundwater, salt groundwater. Probably just, there probably used to be a massive ancient sea there millions of years ago, but there's still salt groundwater. What happens is 
when the water level rises, the water level gets up to ground level, and then the sun bakes off the water. And it leaves salt. It leaves a big crust of salt all over the all over the plains for miles and miles and miles. And yeah. indeed, this was, of course, this was all known to the tribes in that area. They used the salt. They fought Nobody over the them. war over the salt. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, so what what uh, Sibley ends up writing is. Um, after a long series of very hot weather, this section is nearly all covered with a solid rock of salt from 5 to 12 inches thick. And immediately around the springs, because there's salt springs that are kind of popping up too, um, a kind of hollow cones of salt are formed more than two feet above the general surface. At one of these, I hewed out with my tomahawk a block of salt 16 inches in thickness. The quality of the rock salt is unquestionably superior to any that I ever saw. It is beautifully white. Um, Mm. And... So yes, they 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 chunked off a lot of the salt. They sent back specimens. Yes, some of the salt did eventually get back to Jefferson. So he did <laughs> e- eventually get to hold in his hands a chunk of salt from what turned out to be not a salt mountain, but a uh, salt plain. So you probably heard, you might have heard of like the Bonneville Salt Flats, also where they go they set land speed mm-hmm. records. Like that's mm-hmm. the same thing. Mm-hmm. It's just salt from mm-hmm. rising up from the ground. So the interesting thing today, so today you can visit the Great Salt Plains State Park in Oklahoma. And and what people typically do there is, yeah, there's, there's usually like a layer of salt over the dirt. People don't really take home, I don't, I don't think they take home a lot of salt, but uh, what's actually underground, a couple of feet underground, is crystals of a material called selenite. It's a form of uh, gypsum. What you do is, this is this is interesting, it sounds like fun. You dig a hole, like two feet by two feet, you know, wide and deep. Whoa, um, it's big. And in so doing and digging that hole, you're probably actually destroying a lot of the crystals because they're very fragile. But you can go do this for uh-huh. free because there's tons of these things. You dig a hole, you wait for it to fill up with water, and then you take the water and you splash it gently against the sides of the hole you just dug to sort of, it, it, it erodes the dirt away, but it leaves the crystals intact. And so you splash mm. on the sides and you get the crystals and you pull these crystals out. And um, apparently it's the only place in the world you can find these they have formed with an hourglass shaped inclusion of clay inside them. Huh. So you look at it and it's like a flat crystal with an hourglass of clay inside of it. Huh. And so uh, that's that's the cool thing about going, I think, to the uh, to the state park uh, now. Not so much the salt, which you can just get. But yeah, um, <laughs> you just go buy salt now. You don't have to go. We don't have to go find it out in the wild. You know, people from hundreds of years ago, they're just they're just like us. <laughs> They say yeah. dumb things to Congress and they get clowned yeah. on. But the tw- it's not the twenty four hour. It's not the twenty four hour news cycle though. It's like the two year news cycle where it just keeps going, <laughs> yeah. and going, and going. It's not over it in a day. Can't or Can't get two. on top of it. No, you literally have to send out Lewis and Clark and be like, "Find the salt <laughs> mountain. I'm getting killed out there." <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, he's like, "Listen, you guys build me a salt mountain if you have to." <laughs> <laughs> it's like an episode of Veep. <laughs> he's yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right, Dina, your turn. All right, I have a quiz for you all about salt. But basically, the answer to everything in this quiz is um, <laughs> salt related. It's all salt related stuff. <laughs> Barnyard buzzers ready, please, and right. let's get it started. Okay, the name of this lunch meat comes from the Latin word for salt. 
Chris. Salami. Salami. Salami is the lunch meat with salt in the name. How about this? In 2017, chef uh, Nusret Gukchi became known as this when his flamboyant seasoning (laughs) technique went went viral. (laughs) Think, Karen. Salt Bay. Yeah, Salt Bay. Oh, you could eat at his restaurants. They're very expensive, apparently. It's okay, just as long as you don't, I think, order like the gold-covered steak. You're you're going to be okay. Yeah, sure. <laughs> this rural doll character shares her name with a wart that appears on the bottom of the foot or toes. Oh, uh, Colin. Uh, well, I mean, I can think of only a Veruca salt. Uh, yeah. Veruca I did not, salt. Yes, I did not know the uh, the connection to what is a plant or wart. Some type the of Veruca. a what is yeah. it? Oh, that's good. Oh, that's such good. That's meaning. good. <laughs> yeah. The only difference between a greyhound and this cocktail is the salted rim. Oh. Um, oh. Uh, oh. You heard a horse, Colin? Uh, it's it was a it's a salty dog, right? Is that what it's a called? Salty dog. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, cute. Yes. It's a cocktail with vodka gin and grapefruit juice. Mm-hmm. And it's a greyhound if you don't salt the rim. And if you do, it's a salty dog. <laughs> That's such a cute name. It is. It makes me want one. But okay. Anyway, uh, <laughs> how about this? Formed in 1985, this group featuring Cheryl James and Sandy Denton is one of the <laughs> best selling rap acts of all time. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Chris. Ah, salt and pepper featuring Spinderella. <laughs> I, I saw them live like a couple just three years ago. Oh still yeah. They're it. still out there. Yeah. They're so good. I was I, yeah. I had actually I I, I thought of uh, I tried to look into salt and pepper as a potential, you know, like either trivia thing or something like that. Actually, really mm-hmm. I was looking into um salt because <laughs> her name I, I i feel like i could see somebody getting the nickname peppa and then like if you hang out with them enough they're gonna start calling you salt but i really I, I, but i don't i don't know if that's how it happened but that's my headcanon you know i like your i like your fan uh, etymology <laughs> no, like there's, I like there's that, already yeah. a peppa yeah and then yeah. they're just like well you then i guess you're salt right well it's funny <laughs> Because I think Sandy is actually Peppa, and I feel like that matches salt better. But it's a line from a song. They had a song, oh. and then they were like, ooh, that's a good name. And then they, Yes, because they had a different yeah. name. Yeah, yeah. And Spinderella. And Spinderella. And Spinderella. You know, she <laughs> yeah. was 15 when she joined them. What? what? Wow. I mean, you, you go back and you look and see so many celebrities start out. You're like, wow, they're so young, man. Teenagers. Yeah. I remember her, but I was like, oh, she's a grown up. But I was a small child. So yeah. 15 is Everybody's like a grown up. Grown up. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> uh, how about this? Until the 1990s, Mr. Salty was the mascot for what type of Nabisco product? Nabisco. Oh, interesting. Oh. Until the night. 19- okay. Oh, oh. They oh, retired uh, him in the 90s. Oh, I mean, for, saltines? Saltines? No. Oh, oh, that was my guess. <laughs> oh, really? It's, it's not... Uh, is it? Is it Ritz? No. No. Oh, Mr. that's a good guess. Mr. Salty. He actually looks like the food that he is the mascot of. Okay, okay. Oh, it's not the, not the like peanut. A, Mr. Peanut. He's a gin, like a gingerbread man, but of this type of snack food. Okay, okay. Oh. Not... Okay. Potato. Oh, Whoa. Karen. No, I thought it was what? maybe a goldfish no. with the sunglasses. Mr. Salty. I feel like Mr. I know Salty. this. It's in you the guys punch are bowl. gonna scream when you. Oh, hear it's it. in the punch bowl, Dana. Trisket. What is it? Okay, pretzels. 
Mr. Salty's pretzels. He's and now they brought him back and like there's a special yeah. handy snack with Mr. Salty pretzels. Right, but right, they right. they cut He's it. Literally yeah. coated in <laughs> He he looks like a gingerbread man, but made out of pretzels. Mm, yeah, but with looks. salt tumors. Yeah. Yeah. Um <laughs> How about this? This St. Patrick's Day staple gets its name from the salt curing process it goes through. And the oh. name includes a reference to the salt. Colin? Is that uh, corned beef? Or yes, corned beef corn and cabbage? Beef. Yeah. The corns refer to salt corns, like big old chunks of salt. Oh, or, my yeah. God. Yeah. So it's just like salted beef. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Okay. This New England style house is known for its distinctive asymmetrical roof shape. I just learned about this in carpentry class. Oh, yeah. It's. Uh, We're taking carpentry Colin. class. I'm taking it's carpentry called, now. It, it's called like a like a salt box house, right? Or is that what it is? Yeah, salt box. Okay. It's called a yeah. salt box. That's a style. It's like a kind of a short <laughs> a short angle and then a long angle. And it's. Oh. Yeah, it's one of the first American colonial style of houses. All right, last question. This one I think is tricky because I didn't grow up with snow, but I think that people might know this only chris grew up with we'll see we'll see (laughs) this word is derived from hell the ancient greek word for salt and is known as rock salt it's another Mm -hmm. name for rock salt chris halite yes halite i saw i saw a fact about salt that i thought was really interesting it was that more salt is used for uh, salting like roads and highways than for people to <laughs> oh, I bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's true. The volume of it. Yep. Anyway, good job, you guys. Some salt Ooh. trivia. <laughs> well, sort of related. This gives me a great chance to shoehorn in a salt fact that I might Ooh. have otherwise had to sit on for this episode. I didn't want to mention that in case it was in your quiz. So this is this is I will tell you, this is a trick question. What what makes kosher salt kosher? You guys have all heard of kosher salt, right? They cut its right? neck. No. <laughs> yeah, right. I was the way like, that they, the so way they, they drain, drain the blood, blood from, from the salt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. <laughs> growing up, growing up, I was, I was always like, yeah, what makes kosher salt kosher? Wait, isn't all salt? I thought kosher? it was the size. Yeah, it is. It is. So there's there's sort of a a split answer to this. One, there is such a thing as salt, which is kosher, meaning like follows kosher dietary guidelines. But but really, when they say that, all that means is it was prepared in a way that it didn't come into contact with non kosher ingredients. It's been Uh. certified or vetted by a rabbi, you know, who specializes in that kind of thing. But there's nothing inherent to the salt that would otherwise be non kosher. So that's one answer. The other answer, the main answer, and this is so simple, it was just like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. It's it's called kosher salt because it is salt used for koshering. Kosher, you know, it is the process of salting oh, okay. meat to make oh, okay. the meat kosher. The salt is what you use in producing a kosher product. You put the salt on, it draws the blood and other fluids, uh, but that draws the blood out uh, of the meat gotcha. to make the meat kosher. And I was like, oh, that makes so it's much sense. It's the tool for kosher. That's mm-hmm. right. It is a tool for koshering. Yeah. Kosher, but I, I do need to salt. have the little asterisk there that there is such a thing as salt, which is itself then kosher. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. I'm at a grade school in Chicago. We're going to find out if these teachers listen to Good Job Brain. Emperor Qin Shi Huang ruled China until his death in 210 B.C. How did he die? Oh, it's definitely C. He was crushed. Mercury poisoning, D. Ding, 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 ding. No way. Way. Awesome. Betty White or penicillin? <laughs> Which came first? <laughs> no, penicillin. That's crazy. So you would learn all of these things if you listen to Good Job Brain. I, I should. I will. And we're back. You're listening to Good Job Brain, and this week we're all about salt. And speaking of salt, our normal salt, do you guys know what is the chemical name for salt? Well, for table salt, you mean common common table salt? Common table salt. Sodium chloride. And the Mm -hmm. the symbol? NaCl. NaCl. Here, I have a very quick word game quiz. I will give you a definition of a word, and you buzz in and tell me what word I'm looking for. Each of the answers have the letters Ah. N-A-C-L in order. They're not a lot, and they're (laughs) all very, very similar in terms of, I think, once you get one, you're like- I thought of one. Okay, all the other ones follow that pattern. So here gotcha. we go, okay. NACL mm-hmm. okay. in the word, in order, next to each other, not spaced out. Or you know, Dana's going to okay. dominate this I'm quiz. I'm just like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're already going through. All right, here we go. This word means a temple or a place of worship. Uh, that was Chris. Tabernacle. Correct. Tabernacle. Mm, mm. Guess what? Every word in this quiz will rhyme <laughs> with, with that. Okay. The knackle. Knackle. All right. Uh, this is the spire at the topmost of a building or something of great height. Oh. Colin. The pinnacle. 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 Mm-hmm. Pinnacle, the spire at the top, or now known as like the apex or the highest point. All right, next one, next word. This word means metal restraints for hands. Uh, Chris, manacle, manacle, manacle. All right, we're we're off to some of the harder vocab words Ooh. now. Uh, okay. Showing up at your, they don't take the SATs anymore, huh? Okay, anyways. Uh, here we go. Okay. <clears throat> this word means the structure that houses the compass of a ship. Ooh. <sighs> oh. Dana. Is it the spinnacle? Is that a thing? Spinnaker. Spinnaker. Mm. That's my. It is. It is binnacle. Binnacle. Mm. binnacle. Huh. Pinnacle and binnacle. Interesting. <laughs> That's good. good. Good Disney sidekick twin names. Binnacle and yeah. Binnacle. Binnacle. This word means 
this is this is actually the proper name of the room where the last supper was held uh but also refers to like a group of writers or a clique of people proper name of the room where the last supper was held maybe you art history people know it uh hold on a second ends with knackle yeah yeah this is called a cynical n-a-c-l-e with the big c that is where well, we, we see many, many paintings mm. for The Last Supper. That's like the room Cynical. where it's held. It's, it's an upper room, usually like kind of roundish ceilings. <laughs> cynical. All right. It's funny that a group of writers is a cynical, but it's spelled <laughs> wrong. Cyn- cynical. Cynical. Yeah. Cynical. <gasps> yeah. All right. Last word. Here we go. Uh, these are small crustaceans usually attached <laughs> to rocks or ship hulls. <laughs> Tina! This was the one I thought of first was Barnacle. (laughs) Save the best for last. It is Barnacle. And let me tell you guys something, and I hope I do it justice because it blew my mind when I was researching this, and I hope I can can, um, convey that awe and that jaw-dropping feeling and share this fact with you guys. Why are Barnacles called Barnacles? barnacles i was like oh maybe i should look this up you know because i'm kind of like cross-referencing i was like oh I'll make sure my hmm. definitions for that quiz are accurate so i was like oh let's look at the etymology of barnacles i need to tell you the Barn- wild story this is a wild story so originally <laughs> in the 13th century the barnacle is not the crustacean animal the barnacle hmm. is a name of a of a goose of like a water bird hmm. those are huh. called barnacles you know, now now we call them the barnacle goose, just for clarification. But back then, <laughs> is when you say barnacle, that means the, the water bird. This is uh, from the American Heritage Dictionary of the English Language. And I quote, because the barnacle, the goose, breeds in the Arctic, no one at that time had ever witnessed the bird breeding. <sighs> so as a result, it was thought to be spontaneously generated. <laughs> From, oh from trees along the shore or from what? rotting wood. Well, Listen, what else folks, would it be? Yeah, There's only yeah. one possible oh. explanation here. <laughs> the wood gives birth to this goose. The birds just emerge from Fully the rotting formed. wood. This is a simple conclusion that any child would come to. <laughs> How, wait, when was this? When did this happen? This is a uh, 13th century. I mean, it was believed for for uh, quite a while. Um, adding to this, there is a type of barnacle that had very similar, like striking black and white coloring. <laughs> Nowadays, we call that the goose barnacle. So now we have the barnacle goose, uh-huh. which is a goose, and All we right. have the goose barnacle, which is a barnacle. So get this. Okay. People believed that the goose barnacle, the crustaceans, would grow into trees that would <laughs> bear the fruits that become the barnacle goose bird. Now, wait and a second. I, they have chickens. They have chickens Why and would eggs. you overlook the obvious? <laughs> I mean, equally absurd. Equally absurd. But obvious, they just grow from the barnacles right into the birds. Like, that just seems to <laughs> be to me. No, Colin, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I guess that's I'm just That's patently being naive. ridiculous. How dare you even yeah. suggest that? Or, or, or that the eggs come are just in the tree. Because I'm sure they've never seen a barnacle fruit 
hatch a goose before. They've never seen this fruit, this giant fruit that has the end. This belief, this is known as the barnacle goose myth. People in history have documented (laughs) and claimed that they've witnessed this barnacle goose tree. I'm going to share it. We're going to share it on Twitter. We're going to share it on Facebook. We're going to share it online. There are medieval drawings (laughs) of trees that that bear the fruit and it's just like it's not even an egg it bypasses the egg it's just the goose that forms into a fruit (laughs) and it drops onto the ground (laughs) multiple drawings in bird books in (laughs) science books i i cannot believe it this was wildly believed uh during lent you know the catholics they abstain from eating meat they made it so that you can eat this barnacle goose because technically because it's a fruit free from a fruit. (laughs) 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 and so now what we know as barnacles the crustaceans is is named after the goose that came from the barnacle goose tree Wow. That's really fantastic. It's, wow. These pictures are are so funny and so bad of, mm-hmm. of like people's accounts. Oh my god. No one wanted to be the no. one they say they didn't believe in. Nobody yeah. wanted to be the one like I think those birds are just having sex, man. <laughs> yeah. I think they might just be birds, like the other birds that look like them but are a different color. I think they might just be birds yeah. as well. If this is not true, what are these things on my ship and where did that tree come from? Answer <laughs> me that, Abraham. Yeah, yeah. Where did they come yeah. from? Geese being fruit is like a real stumbling block. I would think I would think that that would stop you. That this is not the same experience. Other fruits don't turn into yeah. walking other... animals that honk. <laughs> yeah. Other fruits aren't full of guts and like like this like bones <laughs> yeah full-on viscera <laughs> like, to clarify i think they thought it was more like a, a fish related animal mm-hmm. i mean this this similarly happened to the beaver right beavers yeah. were believed to be fish and so right manatees were mermaids yeah yeah yep. so you say coincidence i say goose tree <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, <laughs> all right. Hey, Matt. Did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope. Never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here, too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's triviality. And we got one last segment. Colin, are you feeling salty? I have a I have a good segment for you all here. I hope that I had fun working on. And, you know, like a lot of uh, Good Job Brain segments, uh, it's got a little science, a little history, 
I remember really clearly as a kid, I was watching TV one night with my dad. We were watching some show or something. And, you know, it's 1980s, uh, young Colin. I don't know what we were watching. Some car commercial comes on and it's a, a Trans Am or something. And it's it's this sort of car zooming across this sort of futuristic, deserty kind of environment. And, uh, you know, the horizon looks like it goes on forever and the dramatic music is playing. And my dad's like, oh, it looks like that was filmed at the Salt Flats. No, the like, Salt Flats. <laughs> yeah. My dad's like, oh, you know, the, the Salt Flats. I'm like, I don't know. You just I'm, ruined I'm your fantasy. Child. Yeah. I'm a, as if I would know. I mean, this is pre-internet. This is pre. <laughs> yeah. So he's, you know, he goes on to tell me, my dad, about the the salt flats, the Bonneville salt flats. And this, again, the 1980s, the first I'd ever heard of the Bonneville salt flats and didn't hear about it a lot uh, when I did hear about it to be from my dad and kind of just sort of filed it away in the back of my mind as a young kid. Uh, you know, there was a car uh, called the Pontiac Bonneville. And I remember we would see commercials for that. And my dad would be like, oh, I bet that car is named after the Bonneville Salt Flats. And, <laughs> wow. Um, this, this has some big Bonneville Salt Flats vibes to it. <laughs> yeah. Guy, guy right, who's right. only ever heard of the Bonneville Salt Flats. <laughs> Um, so you all know that I love to go, uh, hiking and camping and visiting Utah. I was just there a couple weeks ago. I think I talked about it on previous episode. I cannot shut up about it. I love Utah. Utah is great. Among many, many other things, uh, Utah is home to the Bonneville. That's where it is. Yes, it is. I've been sitting here guessing. I was like, I don't know. Where is it? Yeah. Uh, Utah home to the great salt lake. And if you head west from the Great Salt Lake uh, out toward the border, there are a number of salt flats out in that part of of Utah. And the the Bonneville salt flats is the, the biggest of them. What is a salt flat? Chris sort of touched on it earlier. A salt flat, also called a salt pan. One way of thinking of it is just it's the remnants of a dried up lake. Sometimes they refill with water, like the ones uh, that uh, our man Tommy Jeffs was looking for, uh, perhaps. (laughs) Uh, Oftentimes they are just totally dry. They are the remnants of lakes, inland seas that were there many, many, many thousands up to millions of years ago that have dried up and left behind the minerals, uh, oftentimes salt. It is 12 miles long, five miles wide. The salt crust. Okay, now remember, this was, you know, water at one time and minerals and it's evaporated. It's left behind a lot of salt, a lot of salt. It's uh, five feet thick in parts wow. as you approach the no middle. No way. Of these. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. There's a lot, <laughs> a, a lot, a lot of salt there. Yeah. A petite person. If you could drown in the salt there at the middle you could drown in the salt um it's pretty solid though you won't drown in it uh my dad was correct i'm sure that car commercial was filmed out there they film a lot of car commercials out on the bonneville salt flats they it not not just because it looks so cool because it's just you know this sheen of white you know seemingly Mm. out forever miles in in the directions but it is extremely 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 flat and regular (laughs) and it just it's so flat and so big you can see the curvature of the earth even you can't like you can't see over the middle of it to the far side it is very 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 flat one of the flattest parts of our uh, fine country so (laughs) 
almost as far back as there were cars, people realized this was a pretty good spot to go out and race cars and drive around because oh. there's nothing out there. You're not going to run into anything. You're not going to drive off the edge of a cliff. You're not going to run into trees. It sounds like people were racing and trying to set, you know, speed records there as, as far back as like 1912, even, you know, the, the early teens. But racing and auto sports and the Bonneville Salt Flats, they really go hand in hand today. Wow. Uh, I, if you didn't know that, now you know. No. Um, and I have learned that almost all of this history, it goes back to the results of almost exclusively one person, really kind of the, the father of salt racing, uh, a man named Ab Jenkins, uh, David <laughs> Abbott. Ab Jenkins. It's such a great, such a great (laughs) name. Ab Jenkins. Yeah. Ab Jenkins was a native Utahn. He grew up uh, out there. He liked to race. He raced motorcycles. He raced cars. He raced kind of whatever he could get his, uh, you know, body into. By by the 1930s, okay, he had become a, a, a big, if not the leading figure in the racing and kind of car head scene out in the Salt Flats area in Utah in particular. And he started organizing races out there. He started inviting other drivers mm. to come out and really kind of promoted it as, mm. as this is the place to come do it. He, uh, you know, Ab Jenkins really kind of saw, he had a vision there that that Bonneville Salt Flats could sort of become the premier place. And it did become a, a great place for racing. It also specifically became the place, the place to go set land speed records. Records. So from the 30s oh, all the yeah. way into the 70s, the 90s even, um, this was the place. All right. So over over the 1930s, um, Ab Jenkins himself and and a lot of other racers on the scene kind of jockeyed back and forth setting speed records and not, you know, they would have like endurance records of how fast can you average over 24 hours? How fast can you go? What's your Whoa, the fastest, what? fastest mile, you know, and I mean, you look, I mean, any, any record category you can think of, they would find a, a new way to do yeah. it. And uh, at one time in the, in the 1930s, uh, he was driving a racer uh, that was dubbed the Mormon meteor. Uh, this car, it was, it was named by, there was a write-in campaign by the local uh, Salt Lake city newspaper. And that was the winning name for this car. This, no, I, 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 I hesitate to say car, right? I should use air quotes. It was a, it was essentially a race car body that had an aircraft engine dropped into it. Okay. Oh my power. World War II came along. There were, as you probably know, a lot of resource intensive uh, activities that the government curtailed during uh, World War II. <laughs> and as you might imagine, burning huge amounts of gasoline and chewing up rubber tires out on the uh, salt flats was considered maybe a little excessive. So they basically put a halt to all these kind of, <laughs> understandably, maybe frivolous uh, pursuits like auto racing and speed records out in the desert. So there was no racing going on for World War II. And Ab Jenkins figured, well, can't race, can't put on races. I might as well run for mayor. So he ran for mayor of Salt Lake City uh, and won handily. It sounds like he just easily became mayor of Salt Lake City. Yeah, he was mayor from 1940 to 1944, uh, apparently without really spending much time or money on it at all. Just like this is how well known he was at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, After the war was over, he went back to racing. Ab Jenkins eventually retired. Um, he got into a crash apparently at 200 miles an hour and was in his sixties and kind of figured, you know what, maybe this is the time to uh, walk away from, from, uh, racing. Yeah. He was uh, okay in that crash. 
wow, he was okay going that fast in a car that was made at that time. Yeah. It's really impressive. <laughs> yeah. They're real casual with seatbelts, everything. Yeah. yeah, 1951, I guess his car skidded and on puddle of water. I don't mean to uh, interrupt you, but I just want to say, uh, I had to look it up. The modern day seatbelt was patented in only 1955. Four years after his nineteen fifty one crash. I I mean I don't know how much a seatbelt would have done for him. A nineteen fifty one seatbelt at two hundred miles an hour, right? Yeah. But he did uh he he died from a heart attack. So he was driving a uh, the pace car at a race in Wisconsin and after the race came back and died of a heart attack. And it was sad, oh. uh, but he died shortly after doing what he loved, driving a car at a race. Uh, and he was so beloved in the world of racing and that scene that the next year, when General Motors introduced the Pontiac Bonneville, it was in part in tribute to Ab Jenkins and him putting Bonneville on the map. Yeah. And making it a, okay. a wow. site for racing, speeding, all kinds of stuff. So, so your dad was right. My dad yeah. was more right than he knew <laughs> even. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so I, I got to make it out to this place eventually. Um, yeah. So as cool as the Bonneville salt flats are, uh, it is not the only famous salt flat in the world, nor is it the biggest. Uh, we got to give that up to Bolivia. Bolivia is home mm -hmm. to the Salar de Uyuni, the largest salt flat in the world, 100 times larger than oh, the Bonneville salt wow. flat. Wow. It is surface area of 6,500 square miles. Uh, Chris, for reference, yeah, your your home state of Connecticut has mm -hmm. a total area of around fifty five hundred square miles, according to the internet. So this salt flat is bigger than Connecticut. It is it is it is <laughs> a little bit bigger than the total area of Hawaii. More, this this is exciting. a big wow. big old salt yeah. flat. Yeah, yeah, it is so big, so wide, so flat, and at such a high elevation. All right, it's all it's at about twelve thousand feet. It has what? such clear skies that the earth monitoring and observation satellites use it as a calibration check. Oh. It is so easy to target for them. Hmm. They know the elevation that when they fly by, they just do boop, just do a check like, okay, here's our calibration on it. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. After, after a rain here in, in this part of Bolivia, uh, if you get a nice layer of calm water on the Salar de Uyuni, it is effectively the world's largest mirror. Sure. And yeah. if you look up some photos of it, you know, so from flat. Google Earth or wherever, oh. you can look and see, you know, clouds and things back in it. I mean, it's so flat, so big, so reflective, so still. And of course, Chris talked about taking salt chunks out. Yeah, they have like salt hotels out here, which are built out of, you know, bricks made of yeah. chunks taken from the salt here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, now, of course, I cannot go without mentioning Something this dramatic, this epic, uh, it, it, it sounds cinematic. It is cinematic. It has been featured in several movies, most recently slash famously. Uh, this served as the location for the planet Crate in Star Wars, oh, The Last Wars. Jedi, the big final battle scene where, you know, one of the actors even kind of helpfully reaches down and like tastes it. It tastes like salt. And like, <laughs> yes, it is. It is, in fact, uh, oh, salt. Okay. Yeah. That's, so, I mean. That was in Bolivia, yeah. And yeah. minus, you know, I mean, Adam Driver and the little crystal foxes, it, it really looks like that. It really mm -hmm. looks like that, yeah. Yep. So 
I had really, really, really no idea that sort of this offhand comment from my dad uh, would spur all this knowledge of Salt Flats many years <laughs> later. So thank you, Dad. Cool. And that's our show. Thank you guys for joining me. And thank you guys, listeners, for listening in. Hope you learned stuff about salt, barnacles, salt flats, Tommy Jeffs. And you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on all podcast apps. And on our website, goodjobbrain.com. This podcast is part of Airwave Media Podcast Network. Visit airwavemedia.com to listen and subscribe to other shows like Food with Mark Bittman, I Know What Scares You, and Investing for Beginners. And we'll see you guys next week. Salt Bay. Bye. Bye. Salt Bay. Bye. Salt Bay. Salt Bay. Salt Bay. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts.